0: You're listening to the Topco Business Unusual Podcast. Now, the Business Unusual Podcast. Learn from the greatest minds in business today. Interviews hosted
1: by Ralph Fletcher. Learn how to improve business, get tips from industry
0: leaders, and be motivated by real-life experience. Topco. Business Unusual. So so welcome to this week's edition of the Business Unusual podcast. And this week we've got David Renwick, who's the head of investment banking for Absa Bank, joining us. Welcome, David. Dave. Uh, Yeah,
1: thanks, Ralph. Great (laughs) great to be here and I look forward to the discussion. Um, I'm sure it's going to be a good one
0: so i mean we, we spoke a couple of months ago and you spoke on the future of sustainability summit and you introduced sort of some of the amazing things that Abbas is doing and as head of investing i think i'm i'm really interested to see where all the money's at and where you hide it and how i can get to it but i think more than that um tell us a little bit about you and and your career and how did you get to this place of being head of investing you're obviously very clever
1: no, I, w- I wouldn't say that. Uh, <laughs> I, th- I think I've, I've always had a passion to see how e- economies and e- economics kind of help shape society and the positive force they they can do, but also the negative force. And and so with within within the investment banking area, you know, as much as there's some things which um, traditionally people have thought, you know, do they really contribute enough to society, and is it just? taking advantage of financial engineering is I've, I thought we really need to try shift that narrative and also take advantage of the opportunity of actually being a force for actual tangible change, you know, uh, within the markets which you operate across Africa. And I've always been quite passionate about it. And the fact that there is this rising tide globally around kind of ESG and sustainability is just fantastic for me personally.
0: Yeah, I, I, we, we, I'm like a bit of a tree hugger. I, I'm a surfer and, you know, we do the mountain biking, yeah. exteriors and that sort of stuff. So also um, close to nature, live by the beach. But I mean, have you always had this affinity with nature and sustainability and, and sort of banking or or did it start young or recently?
1: Look, look, I think my interest in, in banking has, has been there for as, as long as I, 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 can, I can remember. There were periods personally in my career where I was struggling with, within the banking world where kind of the impact I was potentially making felt like more impact on spreadsheets and financial reports than actually on environments and society. So, again, I suppose I've mentioned it already. This is a fantastic theme because it, I think it can bring together, you know, those two themes which occupy my mind and actually be, you know, a key part of my day job.
0: Yeah. And, and I think that there's this, there's this sense with ESG and investing, certainly that, um, you know, on all the elements, the environment, the social and the governance, that we can generally solve them, But what I've seen and certainly what came up at the conference was that it's a trade-off and quite often you might be able to solve two of the things, but maybe not the third. And the example is often in the mining where in terms of the environment, we want to resolve some of the environmental issues from mining, but actually that has a massive impact on the society that those mines work in. Look, I I
1: think, I think that's right. Um... I suppose I'm, I'm always nervous to, to hit the trade-offs too quickly in these discussions because, actually, there, there is for me, it, it all comes down to a key theme in, in any big project or any big initiative is, for me, that, that connection between business, society, and government. And, actually, if you bring those three parties to the table quite quickly, I think the trade-offs you deal with very quickly. The challenge which we have in some of these big projects or some of the themes around renewable energy as we think about in South Africa, you may have had perhaps government-leading, business-following, society catching up, um, or the other way around in some respects, business-leading now, if you think about kind of the power crisis and the pressure or the work they've done with government to, to try enable this whole concept of captive power but have they brought society to the table quick enough so i think it's i mean it's quite a philosophical point but i think you need to try bring those three big clusters together early and then i think you deal the trade-offs quickly and it doesn't uh, and it does and then it creates for something which is far more sustainable in the long run
0: is it that we you know all, all good things come from from big challenges Is it that there's not enough common interest that things aren't bad enough or have they reached that point where we can have these discussions? What's, what's missing? Um, Look, I I think,
1: I I suppose it's trying to split up what is kind of sustainability or impact investing. Right. But I think if you look at, at some of the the themes, which, which there, the crisis is there, right? The power crisis in South Africa is there. Um, The CO2 emissions are there, Um, the impact it's having on society and health in areas like Mpumalanga are there, but of course the risk to sustainable jobs in Mpumalanga if there's a big shift in renewable energy from Mpumalanga to the Northern Cape is is a real risk. So I I think think the, the crisis is there, the burning platform is there. It's how do we now kind of rapidly pull together and actually start debate, as you said, some of, the, some of the trade-offs. But I don't think they, they should block us in actually trying to drive some of the real opportunity that sits in front of us.
0: And, and is it just that we've got, got a, a bit of a silo mentality in terms of social groups, government groups, and business groups are not talking enough? Is it that we need to create more platforms or is it there's too much talk and not enough action?
1: I think it's, I think it's possibly the, the latter. Um, You know, I always talk about this fact that there is a, there is this global wall of capital that wants to be deployed on sustainable projects, right? Um, And it's there, right? But it doesn't mean it's always going to be there. You know, if you look at 10, 15 years ago, you didn't see ESG linked kind of unit trust or mutual funds, right? Now you see them all over the place. And and so what what I do worry about when there's so much talk is that we're not taking advantage of the capital, which is out there because it may not always be there. So for me, we need to create that paranoia. There's capital to invest in sustainable projects, whether they are societal impact or renewable energy or combination of the two. While we're talking that money is going elsewhere, right? We chatted a little bit earlier around, you know, potentially what's happening in Latin America and where capital is flowing. So... This capital globally is also quite fungible. So SA needs to, we need to drive kind of less talk, more action. Let's get more access to the capital. And some of the things which have come out of COP27 seem to be quite positive, although I don't necessarily want to have a big debate around it because there's a lot there. But (laughs) there there does seem to be some signs of some good capital commitment, which is positive, right? Let's stop talking. Let's get the capital. Let's get the projects. Let's deploy it. Because as I said, it may not be there forever.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I suppose the, the the we're talking about Uruguay and how they have over a period in in a sort of worse position than South Africa in many ways. They have got a reliable power source, um, but they had a long term view because they knew investing in sustainable solutions was was even more difficult then, um, and they weren't getting any support, so they had to almost reinvest in themselves. And it took the action of everybody, and I think their their thinking was was, was two parts, which was like we're going to own this asset government yeah but entrepreneurs we you'll have a source of someone buying it from you which is very similar to south africa so it seems that we do have some successes it's now just amplifying it and accelerating it
1: i i think that's right if i think about the the, the initial renewable energy projects uh linked to government how successful they are in the various different rounds um now we're seeing this whole cap to power initiative where where businesses are stepping up and I look at, again there's there's one aspect which is you know how how do we protect the environment and make it more green but the reality is a lot of this investment going on by big business is really to keep to keep the factories running right to keep the mines going but so what Let's, let's, let's take advantage of that. But I think there's a there's a rapid escalation, which which I, I think is exciting. So I think government is coming to the party. Um one can always say, do they come to the party quick enough? But I think that there, there is there, there's a real opportunity for change. It's how quickly we can deliver that shift in power source um, while we have you know, many other challenges, you know, within the, the state utility being escalated.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I mean, we spoke in certainly my address at the at the conference. One of the things that I saw from from John Doer's book, um, uh, Fast and Scale, was the four principles that he said to really accelerate um, sustainability. We need to get close to policymakers and change um, policies. And and I thought about that and I thought, how often do we speak to policymakers and how much are we influencing them from business perspective? The next thing he said is moving talk to action, which we've spoken about. The third thing is investing in entrepreneurs and innovations. And is, is that enough being done um, in terms of of that, in terms of investing in the education of driving these entrepreneurs and growing them?
1: Look again through a South African lens. I think we have um, a long history of many successful entrepreneurs, you know, creating very big businesses and businesses of scale. Um, look, I think that the, the the challenge is always how do how do the SMEs or the the very small businesses access capital? Um, and I think that there is a, a lot of progress there, but I think there's also there's also a room to to move or to accelerate if you look at you know if you look at other more established markets around the world the access to kind of angel investors and and venture capital is far more prevalent than, than it is in, in a market like ourselves but I, again i do see positives in that light uh, i did want to go to go back to one of the points if you don't mind uh is, is when you're talking about those three points is the, is this is this government policy and government certainty and i'm a firm believer of that i actually think that is it is more powerful than the role of banks and financial institutions in sustainability, right? The banks and the finance, and the finance system comes in after policy certainty and government regulation. Government, you know, banks can, have a, they can influence where capital gets allocated. They can drive access to capital. But the first principle and the most powerful levers to bring about change is actually government policy.
0: And is that because as you're speaking, I'm thinking to myself, is that because of the contract, the certainty in terms of the contract? Because then the finances know either who owns it, who doesn't, and how yeah. the the mechanisms or the yeah. or the incentives will work. So then they can then they can work out, okay, this is a longer term investment yeah. or a shorter term investment, or you know, we might need to get these instruments ready. Yeah.
1: Well, I think that there's, there's there's two aspects to it. One is what is the policy today or the law today. And that allows for investment decision-making, right? And, and so that's very important. The more that is um, proactive in terms of facilitating um, public-private participation, the more you will get access to capital and the more decisions you will make today. Um, the, the next aspect is the longevity of those policies and those laws, you know, so... so so, what people worry about and it's across many emerging markets, okay, so those are the laws today, but what are the laws tomorrow? And so the more governments can map out plans based on track record, deliver into those plans and those policies, the more over time you're going to get more access to capital.
0: for sure, and, and do you think they're struggling because of You know, um, because of the changes that are happening, we've seen that with COVID, where things have been disrupted. Or is it things like digital transformation, where you're having organisations like Uber, and so they're they're struggling to anticipate how digital is going to influence things? Or is it more of a social impact perspective and a a policy around electing (laughs) electing leaders? I
1: think there's just, I think there's there's just too many issues on the table. Right, and so it, it, it you the know, complexity. This, uh, the, the complexity when you're trying to deal with um, deep social challenges, you know, we're trying to deal with a healthcare system which needs to change to provide, uh, you know, a fair service and offering to everyone. We've got an education system that's also gone through significant change. Yeah, you know, there are so many challenges that, that, that I worry that, you know, there's just too much noise that prevents faster decision making. Um, but at the same time, there is decision making happening. So I think, you know, we also got to again, step back and say the positives, you know, if, if, if we roll back the clock um, five or 10 years, if you and I were having a discussion and said, you know, would there be the level of commitment from the private sector and institutions in terms of tangible renewable energy projects that are happening? I think we would have said, no, not sure yeah um
0: that's so true there, there's I, a
1: very big positive shift
0: yeah and and I think that's true with in terms of labor and labor relations th- those sorts of things as well. and I think one of the things that we saw a big shift was people's perceptions and trust, and traditionally it was there was more trust in terms of like the media in content or um, government and um, and there's a massive shift during COVID to it being the trust being more around organizations and big business. Um, and transparency so I think there has already been a big shift they've seen businesses doing the right thing for society certainly in COVID the majority of businesses
1: yeah I, I think I think that's right so I think about the, the number of entities we dealt with and you know we we, we changed our, our business almost overnight to what we called from the offensive to the defensive so in other words you know every everyone a lot of our business is around kind of sales marketing the new idea which is a very offensive initiative to that of of defensive so in other words how do we how do we make sure the businesses and the corporates which we deal with how do we make sure they survive and how do we make sure they and it's interesting in the dialogues with you know many of the big and mid-sized and small corporates in south africa they really adopted that same mentality and if I think about the, as we said, in various risk committees and we were looking forward and we were just seeing kind of doom and gloom, right? But actually that bond between kind of business society and the financial services actually was very strong that a lot of that doom and gloom actually never materialized. You know, if, if I think about the the level of large scale bankruptcies or liquidations and, and there are some businesses that have really struggled to come out of the, the pandemic, but far fewer than we thought. Yeah, And I so, think it is a function of that, you know, the the, added, the the attitude and the behaviors of kind of those key constituencies.
0: Yeah. And, and almost, I, I wanted to talk a little bit, about sort of we're seeing it also in the mining industry as well. And, and there's this, this, I think this old perception that industrialized organizations, banks and big corporates we're abusive in terms of employees and productivity, but we're seeing a massive shift now. And the role of um, organizations like organized labor, trade unions, have, they're really struggling to adapt because employers are looking at talent in a completely different way as possibly they did before. Um, they're, they're really diving in. And so from a social impact, we're seeing businesses having far more impact now.
1: I, th- I think I think that's right. What we also must do side of though is yeah, a big challenge we have in this country is A, is unemployment, but B, those people that are employed, are they actually achieving a living wage? Yeah. Um, and, you know, with, with their take home, can they actually support a family or are they visiting kind of payday lenders or have debts that are through the roof just to actually survive? So, in other words, they're not... They're not creating liabilities or debt you know for luxury goods. they're creating it you know to for school fees and school books and food on the table. so you know so I, I agree with you, I think there is a lot of positives, but we shouldn't lose sight of the fact that even a big portion of the the employed community, never mind the unemployed, are struggling with actually a living wage
0: and that's probably something that business as a whole can be proactive about instead of waiting for government to change legislation and to it's bring about things. Yeah. We can be proactive, and I think we've been proactive in so many other ways. This is something that we need to put on our agenda.
1: Yeah, I, I agree.
0: And, and so we spoke earlier about sustainability and some of the challenges with sustainability, and then we talked around the rise and fall of nations and the impact of education, and it's, it's quite relevant because we, we have the, the oracle of Omaha, the, 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 the number one investor in the world, Warren Buffett. And I've, I've watched many of his sort of um, videos. And one of the things I showed my children from probably, I don't know, 20, 30 years ago when he spoke at one of the universities, was the best investment that he's ever made or that you can ever make as an individual is in yourself.
1: Okay. I, I,
0: it. I, and and so it. Sorry. Yeah, and so how how does education and how, how is that how important is that to our sustainable future?
1: Look, I, I think it's it's exceptionally important. But again, there's lots of exceptionally important things, right? Food on the table at the at the end of every month, getting basic healthcare, getting um an, an environment which you know is has a reduced level of crime and there is punishment for crimes committed so so I, I you know I always you've got you got to balance these things but but I, I fully agree with you and I do think the role of education and the importance of education in, in in the South African and the African context is is not at the forefront of where it should be at the moment um I do think there is some, some quite big challenges in, in our education system. You, we all see the same reports around kind of the, the levels of maths and science capabilities that are, that, that are being, that are coming through our education system. And for me personally, it's it's a real worry because, you know, those are the people that we need to run businesses in five, 10, 15 years time. And uh, look, it's not a, it's not a new concept. But I do think amongst all the challenges which we have, the need to elevate the or elevate the the concerns which are through our education system need to need to come to the fore a lot quicker. And we need to see more change there. And and at the same time, I do think that if there is a pocket that can create this awareness, again, I think it's the solutions there are solvable, right? Um how do you, you know, how do you change the, the education system to make it more inclusive of a of a higher standard? How do you possibly bring in the private sector to help? How do you bring in foreign investors into the education system? There's many examples around the world where this has happened. I think, again, I, I think this is one which is in our control. Uh it this is not driven by, you know. Commodity prices or kind of inflation this is this is something which yeah I actually think we we can tackle and we do need to tackle
0: yeah and so I suppose it's the it's it's the we know we need to it's the how how are we going to come together as a as yeah. a grouping as a priority almost it seems like the, yeah. it, we almost need these priority sort of initiatives to be driven by everybody. Do you think business yeah. is doing enough to drive these initiatives? I think,
1: I think they, they, they could do more if I think about how rapidly the, if we just take the power sector has evolved where I think government and business and we need to bring society in there a lot quicker have come together to try solve some of these, these challenges. Yeah. Um, I think the same could happen in education. Yeah, there are many. There are many pockets of private education that I think could be supersized. Could you outsource? You know, how do we bring a whole lot more expertise to the table a lot quicker? And I think the private sector can assist. I don't think the dialogue um, between government, which is by far the biggest provider of education in this country, and you know, people often think that. <laughs> that it's kind of the the private schooling system, but it's really not. It is a very, I don't know the stats off the top of my head, but it's a very small portion of the number of children that get educated are in the private sector. But but there is a whole lot of, a bit like renewable energy. There is a lot of capital out there that is very keen to support education.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I mean, we, we've, we've, we have different award programs and what we saw was the investment not necessarily in students, And not even necessarily in teachers, but the best investment with the biggest results in terms of pass rates, literacy is around the leaders of the schools, where there were some schools with 0% pass rates in matric, and it went up on average to 14% in the worst performing schools in this country, just with coaching and mentorship of the leaders. So there are some things we know work. How do we get business to help more then? Look, look,
1: I think I think that topic is, is not just in business. I mean, that's uh, so not just in, in schools, that's in that's in business, that's in hospitals, you know, you have the the right person at the top and everything flows, flows down quickly. So I, I, I think it, it, it's how do we more create um, create more of awareness um, and how do we try then pull business and government together to try to solve these needs. And and there are you know, I'm not that close to it, but I am aware that there is a that there is a positive dialogue. So I'm not I'm not in any way saying this is a a hostile position. I think it's how do we actually come together, um, increase that thoughtfulness, um, and try to actually find some solutions, like we've seen. You know, as I said in in, in the power sector.
0: Great. So I mean, look, Absa is a traditionally South African bank, been going for 150 years. Um, you're doing some amazing things. I think there's a bit, you know, the Africanacity sort of uh, um, um, advertising was really, really, I suppose, infectious for a lot of people and related. And I see that you've got a big growth drive towards Africa now and Africa as a continent and creating those possibilities to come to life. What are some of the investments that you're you're looking at within Africa? I mean, what's what's exciting you in Africa? I think
1: there, there are a number of things. there, there is a yeah, if, you, if you look at some of the bigger trends across the continent, you're seeing gradually, despite the pandemic, despite some of the big challenges this year around inflation, you're seeing this overall movement of communities um, kind of closer together. You're seeing GDP per capita increasing, and you're seeing a huge group of people they have a desire to um, grow personally through education, through creating businesses, through creating employment. And, and, that is, and that is very exciting. You know, South Africa, we see lots of opportunities, but we see equal opportunities in many of the other markets. And, and they are common themes. And we think that there is great opportunity at a very domestic level, but then there's also very big opportunities at um, kind of a global level. There's, there's many people that see the opportunity like we see it and wanting to invest across the continent you know through our offices which we have in, in many jurisdictions there is always opportunities of people that want to invest in these same ideas so we think it's you know it, it, it's it's a it's a very exciting growth opportunity in addition to, you know to what we want to continue to do you know with within south africa you know where post the, the separation from barclays you know we see ourselves as you know truly a pan Africa bank, and we want to live up to that aspiration
0: for sure I mean it is exciting and is that investment are you seeing it more necessary at the moment being in like infrastructure type projects to build that, or do you see that we can skip some infrastructure projects almost like the internet and 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 start looking at more technology type opportunities yeah.
1: Look, I think it's a combination. Look, the 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 technology opportunities are are interesting, right? You know, t- to build uh, towers uh, across the continent, you've seen some very interesting businesses that have built these kind of cell phone towers, which assist in kind of data and and voice transmission. You've seen that across the continent, and that it's a little bit easier than trying to build rail- railway lines and and dual carriageway highways, right? Um, and so some of that technology investment has happened very quickly. And if you just think about, although there's huge room to grow, if the level of internet penetration is very exciting across the continent. So access to data, access, and, and that is critical as to where you see businesses evolving quite quickly. You know, the, you know one of the most important <laughs> devices um, an SME has on this continent is their mobile phone. Right, yeah, because that's that's their bank, that's their supplier dialogue, that you know, it's, it's everything there. So I think that, that is very interesting. However, some some of the traditional basic infrastructure still needs to continue to be developed, right? You still need, you know, as I said, the the highways, the railway lines. You still need to continue to invest in in that basic infrastructure. So so it's a, yeah, it's a so there's some things you can you can kind of leap over but i do think there's other things you can't you know port yeah. maintenance port improvement you know you need to get goods into a country you need to get them out right
0: the boring stuff yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> and, and the high capital um investments i mean you talk about rail and it's, it's really interesting because i know that berkshire is invested in rail and we're seeing now uh, in france if uh, if there's an i think it's if a flight is less than two hours by train They've cut the yeah. airports. I think it's starting next year. It might even be sooner. Yeah, that's right. And so that's a massive impact that the government's, and I think that's been driven by government.
1: It has been driven by government, yeah. And,
0: uh, but those are and it's also, but
1: look, I think I think there it's, it, it's two things. One is A, reducing emissions, uh, of course, um, but also it's actually use the infrastructure which you have, right? So the more you use it, the more revenue generated and the more you can kind of um, reinvest in that infrastructure. Uh, and I think one of the, the challenges in our, you know, in, if we bring it back to South Africa is, I think, you know, we need to use, um, you know, there's, there's a bit of a balance. Some of our infrastructure is really creaking, but maybe we didn't use it enough and therefore kind of it didn't generate the revenues to kind of reinvest. And remember it, infrastructure, yeah, if it's always going to be, the tax man or the the consumer that pays for that infrastructure doesn't work either.
0: Yeah. It it was interesting. There was a a study a couple of years ago where, I think it was Brazil, they'd nationalized the rail system and people had to bid for the different rail systems. And a lot of it was, again, at a state where you couldn't really utilize it. And so some of the organizations actually really took a sustainability perception. So they looked at when they bought some of the rail systems, they looked at the worst used and they would reuse some of the tracks instead of buying new tracks. And they were they were trying to maintain the locomotives as effectively as possible just so that they could start making a profit so that they can then over time reinvest in that business. And say so that they had a sustainability model for yes. that nationalization of those railways. Is that what's needed, do you think? Do we need to look not just at sustainability in terms of the climate, but the resources we have, the land, the infrastructure, and not making massive overhauls with infrastructure development, but possibly how we can re-maintain some of the great things that we have?
1: I think, I think that's right. You know, yeah, South Africa, um, relative to many other emerging markets, has actually a great um, infrastructure platform. The, the base is there, right, so the the, the foundations are there, um, some of the houses are built, some of the houses need uh, drastic repair quite quickly, I know it's a very simple analogy, but I, that, that's how I see it, right, so I completely, I'm completely aligned with your views, is how do we, how do we kind of not build new foundations necessarily and kind of new houses, let's kind of fix what we have, and I, and I do think that, you know, there there is a lot of desire by both governments um, and business to actually do it. So again, it comes back to how do we, as you some of your opening comments, how do we bring it together quickly enough? Um, less talk, more decision, but make sure those decisions are long-term and sustainable and inclusive. And I, and I think there's many examples where we've demonstrated that.
0: And I suppose that where we are as a country, we've got elections, we're not elections, we have a new leadership being decided in a month's time. We've come out of COVID. We, you know, there was a, a, you know, credit adjustment. But now we're seeing S and P coming out with some very positive perceptions about South Africa. We're seeing a number of investments from the U.S. Has the tide changed for South Africa and Africa? Is this our time, or Uh,
1: it's interesting? Has that time changed? I think one of the benefits of working in in many different markets is that sometimes when you immerse in sometimes when you immerse in the markets um you you only see the negatives right um and you kind of get get caught and you don't see the relative value which you may have in the environment which you're in right and and so i think south africa has always had huge opportunity but sometimes we we get so fixated on kind of all the problems, but we don't look at it, the relative value. You know, the infrastructure we have related to many other markets, which we operate across the continent is tremendous, right? But we get bogged down in the narrative world, kind of transnets falling over, or well, there's big challenges of transnet, but we have transnet, we have a transnet, right? We have a fantastic platform. So that, you know, so that So it's great that you see these positive signs in some respects, my view is kind of—we've always had them. Okay. We sometimes are not looking, at kind of, as I said, on relative value. No.
0: So, how do we how do we dive into them more? Then is it is it about yeah. reflecting on the good and and trying to make them better? Because there does seem to be a sense that, f- firstly, there was that everybody was leaving the country and the skills and and sort of, but w- what I saw certainly um, is some of the JC listed companies in South Africa are, are giving a phenomenal return on investment. So you have that, you have a lot of yeah. organizations in South Africa doing exceptionally well for their shareholders and for their employees. And when they're investing, they're taking their profits and investing internationally, they're not getting the same returns. And a lot of them are coming back and reinvesting in, in yeah. South Africa.
1: I think that's right because look, in simple terms, they know how to make money here. Right? Uh, yeah. Many, many, many of our our, our big businesses uh, in South Africa have operated through many challenging periods in this market, and they know how to generate, you know, good margins. They know how to build. They know how to invest, and you know, often they've gone into markets sometimes through acquisition. And I always caution people, kind of, if, if you the foreigner and you outbidding all the local investors for an asset, you know, have you not missed something here? You know, and it's the same in in our market, right? You know, the best, uh, the most capable people to understand value and opportunity are the people that live and breathe in that environment. Yeah, they should be the best people to understand value. Should not be someone who's coming in from internationally. And I think, and and so the, that's why the SA businesses, I think, a lot of them are exceptionally strong and exceptionally well run. It's people that really understand how to create value in this environment.
0: It's so funny, I'm not, and,
1: I, and I'm not, and I'm not chasing away foreign direct investment. I think it's hugely valuable, and we've seen, you know, yep. more foreign direct investment in kind of the data centers in this country. You've seen, you know, big investment again by kind of Walmart in 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 Massmart. You know, there's the sort of, so that's all very positive. So it, it's not a case of one good one bad. I'm just trying to create you know the, the point that actually you were saying that we have some very well run businesses in, the, in this in this market.
0: Maybe'll I'll say this. it's not just well- run businesses. I think we have great leaders and great business people also in this market. and, and so maybe I'll, I'll help you a little bit here. When I read the, the Naspes book about Kurs Becker, they were very strategic that when they made their best investments is where they invested in a company that had great leadership from that country. So it's not just a reflective about South Africa. It's about, we don't necessarily need to take our people and take them to other markets to invest in other countries. We can invest in other countries with other top talent, but the same here, if people are going to invest in South Africa, they should be investing in the people. They should be investing in the leadership here.
1: Uh, I think I think that's right. And you know, as as absent, be careful, it's not an advertorial for absent, but if I think about how we developing our, our businesses in met in various markets, the board, the chair, senior management, yes, there may be some participation from people, you know, from the big from the controlling shareholders or large shareholders, but it is very much local local driven. You know, we want top bank CEOs, you know very strong board that really understands the local environment. that's that's for me very critical and I think where where acquisitions go wrong both where South African companies have bought things internationally and where kind of international companies have bought things domestically is you know when they all of a sudden shuffle the decks and the people that are there really don't understand how to get things done they may be exceptionally competent in their fields of expertise and and many of them are, but the old analogy, there's, you know, there's nothing like local knowledge.
0: So, so, I mean, it's fascinating because you obviously doing a lot of investment, you see a lot of trends. And so there's the analogy that, you know, you can, you can, um, (laughs) you can take a great leader and put them into a bad company and you'll still have a bad company. And so when you're investing in good companies, what are you seeing as those principles or those things that you're looking for from those organizations? Look, at I think there's,
1: there's a couple of things, right? One is, 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 it, is, there, is there a very clear strategy and business plan, right? Does it make commercial sense? Does it have the right ability to generate sustainable margins? But again, that's kind of all desktop analysis, right? The key then is, as you say, is how do you overlay that kind of, well, the, the strategy makes sense, the business can generate acceptable margins, but then who, who are the people that actually deliver on that? Um, and if we go back to kind of the, the COVID example, right, it, it, it's for me, it's very interesting. There were, on paper, there were some, there were many businesses that shouldn't have survived. For sure. There are many, there are many businesses that today should, but due to the tenacity uh, of the management and how they galvanized the entire organization, they did survive. And there are some other businesses that maybe have not fallen over yet, but are in very bad shape. That again, on the desktop analysis, you said mm, these guys are going to bounce back, they're going to have strong margins. But without the right management, are now sitting with you know very weak balance sheets and are struggling for struggling for survival
0: so so funny so, so so it's about the leadership do you think or is it is it about the, the the leadership team
1: it's definitely the team right uh, and but again a good leader a good leader knows that right so i think it, it just naturally happens right a good center forward might not
0: know that but a good leader does. <laughs> Okay, we won't get into football here. Yeah. Um, so I suppose the, 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 the next sort of um, insight is that, you know, we spoke about earlier growing this economy. How do we help fund and grow SMEs? And for many, I suppose, fintechs, fast growth companies, there's this appetite to need a runway to grow. Mm-hmm. But for a lot of traditional SMEs, there's a perception of how do they get funding? I suppose that's sort of the question I'm almost leading to is like, what can an SME be doing to make themselves attractive for investment? And is that the main thing? Is, is investment the main thing that you should be looking at? Or is it their network? Or is it some knowledge or skill or some insight? What, what, what are your thoughts there?
1: look i think whether it's a big business or a small business i think those same basic principles apply right you know is there is there a very clear strategy does the business plan link into that strategy and do you have the right people i think i think where and so you have many smes that that have those key components i think the last factor of course which many big businesses um, take for granted is to you then have the balance sheet? And I think that's where you're going, right? And I think that's where, of course, the challenge is, you know, in environments where you don't have the same um, level of SME equity investors through type of angel investors or venture capital. I think that the fintech players are rapidly filling some of that void. Um, and it's very interesting what they're doing. However, a lot of them are, are serving the, and, and there's two aspects to running a business well, of course, there's the balance sheet and then there's kind of the income statement. And the fintechs are, are helping a lot in terms of the income statement. So in terms of how do we how do we take a view on your debtors? So how do we discount your debtors far better than big banks can do because we have great technology and we really understand the flows in your business. So I think they, mm. so of course, they're they allowing the, they're allowing the SMEs to be far more effective in their cash flow generation, which is great. You Generate cash, you generate profits, so you create equity, you know, over time. But it's not necessarily solving kind of. Often you need equity very early on. So, so the the fintechs I think are playing a remarkable role, um, and they really are servicing an area of the market which has been a little bit neglected. However, it it's not it's not this it's not going to solve everything. You yeah. still need more in that venture capital angel investor where you're going to see you know, a stronger balance sheet on day one than, than a weaker balance sheet. You know, if you look at many businesses which fall over early on, it's not through sometimes lack of energy, passion, commitment, strategy, business plan. It's actually just access to capital.
0: But the, but you know, I suppose it's that old saying is. Um... You know, all lottery winners end up poorer. So, you know, it's not necessarily just access to capital because if you don't have the discipline and the the principles in place, getting getting finance in itself is one part, as all lottery winners will tell you. But, you know, once you've got the money, it's easy to spend that. Uh,
1: well, look, again, it goes back to kind of the management and the people, right? And I think that's, that's the hard decision. And so... It's easy to say, well, you need more uh, venture capital, you need more angel investors, right? It's, <laughs> that's easy to say. Right? To get people that can sit and look at small opportunities and really understand the people that are going to run the business and to do that assessment to say, is this the person that is really going to look off the last cent or the last rand, Or is this a person that's going to say, well, you know, I'm just going to invest now. And don't worry, I will get more equity as it comes along, right? And um, and it's interesting because some of the fintechs um, over the last few years and, and some of them the in Africa have adopted that, right? You're seeing some of the, the big fallout in fintechs and tech now is that I think people of the view that if the fintech in itself is a great idea, um, that there's always going to be more capital, right? Right. Um, but the world has changed quite a lot this year. And I think some of the fintechs, and you're seeing it in Africa, as well as you're seeing it in, in many places, a lot of job cutting, you know, a lot of business rationalization, because people have realized that actually I need to create the business, which is a fintech business. I need it to show signs of getting to profitability. You know, I need to show positive cash flows. There's not just this infinite pool of series A, B, C, D, kind of fintech capital that's just going to arrive, that, uh, kind of that that game is over for
0: now. Yeah. And and so do you think that um, part of this, the strategy is not just skill, but organizations need to be looking at values then as well, when they're looking at team players and people and even investing in organ- other organizations and working with people. Is that a big thing? Do you think?
1: Yeah. Values is, it is very big. I think people um look at, I, th- I think there's as society has, evolved and evolved positively, you know, the pure the profit motive um, has been weakened by the fact that people want to be associated with organizations that have the right value system and generally have a positive impact in society. And so it kind of, as society has become more aware of that and wants to drive that, you know. It, it, Uh, you know people say that that businesses maybe you know we've got great values and look what we're driving but for me actually you have to have that that is kind of your ticket to the game (laughs) right if you if you don't have that no one's going to work for you
0: right (laughs) yeah 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 so it's it's not like we've got to get it it's like if you don't have it you're not even coming like don't bother yeah exactly yeah exactly and so um I mean, just closing up. We're talking to the head of invest, investment banking for ABSA, and so it would be a pity not to ask you your own personal or, or, you know, business investment sort of principles of success or advice. What sort of what what do you what do you think are the principles, both personally and for a business, in terms of investing?
1: Yeah, look, look, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not a certified <laughs> financial planner and we would have to come with a very long narrative that anything I say is not, it's, it's not tax advice, it's not financial advice. Look, look I, I think with, with, with anything is, you know, it's kind of patience and commitment, right? And that's how businesses have evolved. And, and the strongest businesses are, are those that kind of have a clear plan, know that there's going to be bumps along the way but are disciplined enough to stick to that plan and I suppose also disciplined enough that sometimes that plan will need to shift a bit to the left, a bit to the right, but yeah. you've got to be able to stay the course um, yeah. and successful businesses, you know, across this continent in this country and globally are all of those that have always been run by a very disciplined kind of ethos. We've got to do things properly, we've got to do things right, we've got to be yeah. inclusive and, um, and those and those that are that are not for, by the way. And, I, and but so again, I don't think that's, I don't think this is something which is new, right? It's something which has been around before.
0: But we forget it sometimes. And I think that we're in the TikTok sort of world of immediate gratification. Yeah. And we are in the Bitcoin world of speculation. And in, in that share price analysis, where we're constantly looking at performance on a weekly, monthly, quarterly yeah. basis. And I think we see the same thing with positive change, like you talk about transformation and um, diversity. Those sorts of things, change within people and organizations takes time. And so whenever I've pushed change too quickly, yeah. it often fails instead of trying to be that little bit. And I've tried to do it because I've tried to implement it with a, a bang, but it's often to be having the patience the long term.
1: Nah, I completely agree.
0: David it was lovely having you on the podcast we're so grateful Likewise. um i think it's it's such a interesting conversation um i suppose that the the last point is really you know the the prime minister of barbados came to south africa i actually saw her speech so i didn't watch it at the nelson mandela foundation and i suppose it, in many ways it's the north versus the south so the north has created a problem around carbon emissions and the South, in many ways, has to pay for that. Yeah. Is that a challenge? Is that a challenge? Or is it that we just must accept what happened and moved on and just invest in the things we need to invest in?
1: Look, look as a banker, I see that as a huge opportunity. Okay. You know, as I said earlier, there is this wall of capital, if I'm calling it from the North, that wants to invest in our continent to generate renewable energy, which will hopefully generate power, and we know our power per capita is exceptionally low in this continent, right? So if we can harness, I think we should. I think we should um, really focus on this on this what what is perceived to be a challenge and create this opportunity and say, go, okay, yeah, you were the problem, right? Now let's fix it, right? And your fixing it is significant foreign investment. On the power and renewable platform on this continent to help change and help deliver some basic needs, which are still, which are still outstanding on this continent in terms of kind of power to the home. Without power to the home, you don't have access to data. You can't run your SME. You know, you, your, your you know, children need to be educated through online platforms. Now they need access to global connectivity. So yeah, I, I think there is that debate, but I think we should capitalize on it. Let's take advantage of it because there is that capital. If we can harness that capital into good projects. We're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna end up being the winners, not the losers here.
0: And, and so, it also has an, an an onset impact as well for jobs and for other things that it can create. So, your advice is take it while it's there, and and quickly.
1: I agree. totally agree.
0: <laughs> Thank you so much, and we look forward Excellent. to seeing you again soon. Thanks, David. Thanks, Rob. Okay. Bye now. Bye. Cool. Um sure it's it's uh there was so much that i wanted to cover but um yeah. geez we got through a couple of them
1: <laughs> thanks rob i, I don't know I that was a good that was a good chat I
0: yeah you. yeah I, I think so and um i think the last part is like just being patient as well i think we've what i see is uh good organizations good countries they have a plan yeah. and they're patient about it but they stick to it and i think that's what you're saying as well about the government we need to have a plan yeah. now and we need to stick it, to that plan. Yeah. And get everybody around. Lovely. Thanks so much. Good.
1: Thanks, Rob. Talk Bye. soon. Bye. Cheers.